Promotion Man, the true backstories of the most iconic bands in the world told by Fred Myers and interviewed by me, L.A. Lloyd. Get involved and interact on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll find the links at promotion-man.com. That's promotion-man.com. Download the weekly Promotion Man podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Wester Weschler, how are you? I'm well. How are you doing? Thomas Boom Boom Weschler. Chewy, did you say Mr. Weschler? Mr. Weschler did. I did, like I was asking for some change. You got a lot of shirts going on in there, man. That's what my Catholic high school girls used to call me, Mr. (laughs) Weschler. You know, I love Catholic girls because they would do everything but, you know what I mean? Yeah, they start much too late. And they do, you know, and the guilt. Catholics are all heavy, heavy guilt. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think Fred missed my Billy Joel reference in there. Yeah, what did Catholic say? girls start much too late? You know, come out Virginia, <laughs> don't make me wait. Catholic girls start much too late. Look at you, Fred Thomas. Thank you yes, for calling sir. in, buddy. Thank you for having me. So I was kind of giving these guys the lowdown um, of you, and it reminded me that you were my photographer when I married Charles. And yep. because you were the only photographer I knew for starters, you know, and I saw you all the time because you were the rock and roll photographer in Detroit. Well, there were a couple of us, but I was probably the uh, most prolific. <laughs> no question. In fact, how prolific were you? How many photos do you have in your gallery? Wow. Um, 38,967. Bam. Look at that. I thought he was just going to throw something off the top of his head. That's amazing. And well, it's because I know, because I have a, a, a hard drive with all of them scanned, and I know the number. <laughs> Good man. So if people want to buy your photography, and let me tell you, your stuff, I mean, we're going to talk about all of it on this podcast, but I mean, some of your shots of Tom Petty, the Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, the Who, I mean, we can just go on and on, and certainly Bob Seger. <laughs> but if somebody wants to buy some f- wonderful photography and frame it as a gift to somebody, where would they go? Well, there's a, a website called Darkroom Tech, darkroom.tech, and they have a lot of my photos up there, and they, they print them on, you can either get them printed on regular you know paper or you can get them printed on canvas and they they frame them all for you so that's that's a pretty good place they're in boston darkroom.tech they're it's a cool place so how did you get started being a photographer anyway <laughs> that's funny uh, i started actually i started in the 50s taking pictures of girls in my neighborhood when I was a you know, Stalker. Six, seven, eight years old. But <laughs> I got know. my first rock and roll photography off of my television. I photographed my television with the Beatles. Yes, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I well, that's what happened, and I, I, I got lucky. I got really good shots off of my little black and white television, and I took them to school. The next day, I, I had a dark room at, at my house, and so I so great. developed the film and printed little little contact prints of the photos and took them to school the next day. And um, I, 
Uh, it was amazing. This one girl, she said, can I borrow this book? I went, yeah, sure. She took it and showed it to a lot of her friends and then met me at lunch and slid $39 across the table in half dollars and quarters and singles. And I said, what's all this money for? She said, well, you have the negatives, don't you? And I said, well, yeah. She goes, here, here's a list. Print this list. I'll help you do your homework tonight so you can get this done, and we'll keep doing this until everybody has a picture. Oh, my wow. gosh. What a, a little great entrepreneur, st- aren't you? What a great story. In, 19, in 1964, the two of us split 220 bucks. So that's a lot of money back then for kids. <laughs> no, no doubt. That's great. I, I, there was, it was girls, music, photography, and some money. I put the blind, blinders on, and I never looked back. Well, I hope Ringo's not listening today, man, because he might want to cut, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, just kind of briefly tell us, um, when was your first real brush with a superstar? Uh, Jimmy Page nice. in 1967. I went to, I was working at a music store in Detroit at the time called Artists Music, and we had the Vox franchise. That was like the, the hip amps that the Beatles used yeah. to use and all that. Yeah. And the boss of the store said, hey, you got to take a couple of Super Beatles down to the uh, to the State Fair Coliseum. They're, they're having a, a show down there. And I, I said, okay, what's the show? He said, it's Andy Warhol's mod wedding and i was like okay i took the truck down set up the super beetles and turns out the yardbirds were on on the show and i i was told by the by the boss of the story said you know these amps could they have a tendency to blow i went yeah i know so don't let them turn it up past seven (laughs) <laughs> on, you know, on the on the potentiometer, on the, and I said, "Yeah, okay, boss, I'll, I'll I'll make sure of that." And so I'm standing behind the amp, and the yardbirds are introducing Jimmy Page. Comes right up to the amp that I'm standing behind, and he says, "Hello, mate." And I went, "Oh, hi!" And he t- took his little finger and put them all up on ten, and turned around and proceeded to play. I kept my fingers crossed for the whole show that the amp didn't blow. I got lucky. Awesome. <laughs> That's a great story. It is a great story. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> so then it started. From that point forward, yep. you started. And then, of course, Detroit has been a topic of conversation on our podcast ever since the beginning of the show. Yeah. So and, a lot of. Well deserved. Yes. Right. And, a, and a lot of our followers know that and have gotten a real history about Detroit and its um, contribution to rock and roll and Motown and all of that. But there was a place called Grandy Ballroom and East oh, yeah. and then East Town. Um, tell us yep. about that. I uh, I loved the Grandy. I went to the Grandy a lot um, in, in from between 1967 and and mid 1969 when I became Seeger's road manager. But in in between those years, I I was there for almost every show. I photographed the the Who. I photographed Pink Floyd opening for The Who. Oh, my God. Um, wow. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. So you're telling me Pink Floyd opened for The Who in the Grandy Ballroom. And what is the capacity of the Grandy? 1,500? Oh, they, they, they said that they could. the capacity was 
like 2,500, but they had 3,000 people in there all the time. <laughs> that place was always packed, elbow to asshole. So, <laughs> so you've got Pink Floyd opening for The Who Yep, in front of 3,000 people. Wow. Yep. Do you have I photos do. of that show? I do. Oh, I have gosh. photos of both bands. Isn't that it incredible? Was, uh, I know I'm just sitting here <laughs> just so of, may, I'm sorry I'm a loss of words right there. So uh, before we talk about more artists, I mean, is there, you know, I'm already intrigued to start. I've got my iPad in front of me. Is there a place I can go just to see some, you know, online right now while our well, people my, are listening? Well, my Facebook page, I put up all kinds of photos. If you, I don't know if, if you can get into that, but if you course, do, you, yeah. you'll see every one of the photos that I'm talking about. Mm. And it's Tom Weschler. Yep. W-E-S-C-H-L-E-R. Uh, you will have a new follower immediately, and that'll be me. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah, the, I I shot Paul Butterfield, The Birds, all, on all kinds of bands at the Grandy. The, it was like Nirvana for somebody like me. I, I you know, uh, not the band, the the, the uh, Indian Heaven. <laughs> right. You know what's interesting. I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I I just I loved going there. I mean, I went there all the time. It was great. And you know, it's interesting about Thomas is that we were friends in Detroit when I was at Warner Brothers, and his roommate was a guy named Jack Ashton, who's yeah. uh, very well known as a promotion man himself, who is with a lot of different record labels, and is still in the business today. And Jack's brother was a member of Iggy and the Stooges, correct? No, no, they were not related. Oh, yes, they Ron, were. Ron, Ron Ashton and Jack Ashton did grow up in the same neighborhood, but they were they were not related. Oh my! I had always thought they were brothers. I had always thought that. No, nope. no. Nope. <laughs> I, I like to pimp Jack now. Now he ain't that cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wanted to ask you a question, Thomas. So, who is a band that you shot? that maybe you knew a little bit about or didn't know anything at all that went on just to be megastars. Do you have any stories about anybody like that? Oh, geez, like startup people, huh? Yeah, like you well, saw them at the uh, very beginning and then they just blew up. You didn't really know who they were, and then all of a sudden they just blew up. Um, gee, um... Jimi Hendrix? Well, Hendrix, but he he was already... In my opinion, he was already one of the best. I guess it would have been, been the Jeff Beck group. Oh, because nice. The, you know, he was in the Yardbirds, and he had a, a great reputation there. And then he came out with his own band, and he got Rod Stewart to start singing for him. And that that band went from, you know, from zero to 60 in about two seconds. Yeah. Yeah, so, you're you right. Know, and, Beck was always a, a he's in my opinion he's still the best guitar player out there but he he was he was so innovative and you know I I I shot them at the Grandy a couple of times first when they were a four piece and then when they added Nicky Hopkins I I went and saw him then too it oh was, on piano it was a great band nice yeah. yeah. Well, but you were also there in the very beginning of the Who. Um, yes, I was. Now, they shot their first first performance there. And so did you know them when you got there? Uh, was was uh, my generation yes, already I, on the I radio? Did. I did. I had experience with, um, with Pete Townsend earlier that year 
Um, actually, in 67, the Who played Southfield High School. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> wow, but, um, that's great. There's a, a, there's a picture, uh, a friend of mine who was in the audience at the time, uh, Donnie Henderson, guitar player, a really good guitar player anyway. He was there with his camera, and he took a photo of the Who on stage. And lo and behold, I'm peeking out through the curtain behind the stage looking at them. <laughs> wow. That's one of the funniest pictures that I didn't take. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because you were actually being uh, photographed. That's cool. Yep. Yeah, that was that but so the who yeah, I and and then a, about a year later um no, less than a year later in the winter time of 68, early 68, Pete Townsend came into Artist Music looking to buy a Stratocaster. And we didn't have any in stock, but I had one and I wanted to sell it because I was looking to buy this other guitar. And so he checked out my guitar and he said, yeah, I'll take it. And all he had was English money, you know, pounds. <laughs> pounds. I, I said, oh, that's okay. We can go to the bank right down the street. So me and Pete Thompson, this is no shit. We got in my car. I had a big Ford LTD at the time. And he got out and he looked at the car. He goes, you could fit five of my cars in that thing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and They're he like took his hand, goes, you American teenagers are, you drive me nuts with your cars. So we got to the bank and, you know, we got the money and, and everything and it worked out pretty good. And so, then I, that so night I went to see the, see him at the Grandy and, um, it was a pretty cool show. Right. And then, they came back in the summer, and that's when Pink Floyd opened for them. Wow. Oh, holy cow. And then Led Zeppelin. I mean, did you, were you Led aware Zeppelin. of them when you first saw them play? I saw them in Chicago. I, I was on the road with Seeger at the time. I was um, his road manager, and we were playing a gig in Milwaukee, and we had a couple of days off. So we drove down, me and Bob and one of my roadies, a guy named Ace, we drove down to Chicago and uh, checked into our favorite hotel there, the Chicago, um, it's called the Holiday Inn on the Lake. Now it's W on the Lake, but at, at the time it was it was a great place to stay. We we went there and, and Seeger said, well, I'm going to go see Jefferson Airplane tonight at the Aragon. I said, oh, good luck. He goes, oh, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to just stand in front of the stage and Grace Slick is going to see me and fall in love with me. I said, okay, that's great. Well, I'm going to go fall in love with Led Zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> so so we, went to, we went to see Led Zeppelin, Savoy Brown, and Jethro Tull, all on the same bill for like Whoa. three bucks. Wow. <laughs> and, Bob, and Bob Seger went to see Jefferson Airplane? Yep. Wow. And then we all met back at the hotel. I shot some shots of, of Led Zeppelin there. That's the only time I ever shot them, but they, they came out pretty good. But most of the time, there were these really hot Chicago chicks there. And my, <laughs> my, my roadie friend, Ace, kept on going, fuck the band. Take pictures of those girls. Man. Yeah, right. What's the matter with you? Spoken like a true man. <laughs> Well, and I did, and and you know I have them both. They're really pretty cool. But but yeah, the, then we got back to the hotel. Here's a funny story. I was down at the cigarette machine buying some camels. I used to smoke. I don't anymore, but I did then. And this guy comes up to me. Not this guy. It was Robert Plant, and, and I knew who he was. <laughs> he said he he fiddled through some coins in his hand. He said, do I have enough to buy a pack of cigarettes? And I looked at him. I said, no. 
I gave him a quarter, so he had enough, and and <laughs> that wow. that was kind of funny. Years <laughs> later, I saw him at at a couple of different events, and he always acknowledged me. I don't even know how he remembered me, but he always acknowledged me. And once he said, "Geez, that's got to be up to about." A hundred bucks of interest by now. <laughs> oh, how awesome is that? I mean, that—that that is how. What a nice guy he is. I mean, he—he yeah. he really is interested in his fans and, and in people. I'm—I'm I'm sure that he's like—he's one of the best. You know, we did an interview with a guy named Alex Valentine who went on the road with him, and he just said he's just the nicest man. Yeah. Yeah, I so, believe it. I mean, it, I have proof. You know. So, yeah. Thomas, when you first started shooting, and I mean, you were getting serious about it. I mean, obviously, cameras have changed dramatically since uh, the yeah. '60s. But what was what was your camera of choice back then that really got the best shots for you? The, my I always shot Nikon's. I started out with a, a Nikkor X, which is like the the low end Nikon. Then I got a Nikon F. Then I got an F two, and then an F three. And that's I still have my F threes. That's great. Now, Thomas has a fabulous story about Jay Giles, and Jay Giles was almost like a house band in Detroit. <laughs> yeah. Even though they That's were from sure. Boston, Detroit Detroiters love them. You know, uh, Motor City Shakedown, Detroit Breakdown. So yep. um, tell us, the what was it the album Freeze Frame or Centerfold? Yeah, Freeze Frame. The, okay, so tell us the, this story. This is a great story. The back cover of, of, of Freeze Frame I shot with, with my partner at Woodward Studio is the name of the company at the time. And I was going out to lunch. On, I was going, we were at Woodward and Maple in downtown Birmingham. That was where our studio was. And I was crossing Maple, getting ready to go get some lunch. And this car pulls up right in front of me. It's like it looks like a mafia hit, you know. The door opens and the guy yells, <laughs> "Get in!" And so I, I, it was Howard Lesnick driving, the promotion guy from EMI. And so I got in the back seat. It was Pete. Pete was sitting in the back. Pete Wolf looking at me, and he said, "Thomas, I need some help here." I said, "What, what, what do you need?" <laughs> and Howard took off, and we drove around town. And he showed me these black and white proof sheets that they had shot in, in New York by a photographer in New York. He said, I can't use this. This is not what I wanted. Can you put something together and shoot the back album cover shots for us tonight? I was like, tonight? Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what am I going to say? No. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll figure something out. So um, he gave me his number. at where the, They were staying at a hotel called the Northfield Hilton. I, you probably remember that, Freddie, out there in uh, I definitely in do. Yes, I do. Yeah. So they were they were playing at Pine Knob. They had the the um, the rooms were at, at that hotel, and so me and my partner Omar went out there, and we set up the catering hallway with big white sheets and white sheets on the floor and in the background, and Pete showed up after about three o'clock in the morning with the band and all these buckets of paint, colored paint, different colored paint. And so they ended up painting each other up and I ended up shooting it. And that's how it got on the album cover. That's so cool. 
I uh, saw this interview that you did, Thomas, where you were at a book signing. I, I hope you can share this with the listeners today. But basically, it was kind of a, a photo book with uh, with Bob Seger on the road with him. And then you were doing a book signing. And these two ladies approached you and had a signature of Bob on the front cover, which uh, I guess caught you off guard. So maybe tell this story if you can. Yeah. The, turns out the the girl the, they, this was it was in Lansing we were at a, a a bookstore in Lansing yeah and uh I was signing autographs and these two ladies came up and and she did have Seeger's autograph on the cover I said how did you get that she said oh well he and I were in high school together <laughs> I saw him um, a couple of days ago and I just went up to him in the grocery store and said hey would you sign my book <laughs> she had it with her in her purse. <laughs> Yeah, sure, I'll sign it. And he did. It turns out that they were um, friends from high school. That's great. That is a great story. Cool. Seeker's another one of those guys like Robert Plant. Just plain nice, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, well, let's get into that because obviously your relationship with him has been going on forever. And well, more than 50 years, yeah. Wow, That's 50 awesome. years. So you've been there through his whole rise to fame. Yeah, pretty much. I, I was his road manager during um, five different incarnations of his musical endeavor. First, I started out with the uh, system, the Bob Seger system. Had Ramblin' Gamblin' Man and, oh, and uh, Ivory right. and a lot of really good tunes. And then he decided one day out of nowhere, he said, I'm going to go solo, man. I was like, what? He said, we're going solo. I said, oh, that's fine with me. All I got to do is go get a, a hippie rug and put it on the floor, set up the PA system, <laughs> sit down, light a camel, and watch the show. <laughs> and, and that's that's what we did for only about six months. And then he added another band to it, and he called it the Borneo Band, but Punch never punches his manager. He never acknowledged that name. He just booked him as Bob Seeger. Then he got together with Key Garden and Van Winkle. And oh, they I remember that. started a band called, called STV. Um, I always call them STK. <laughs> I mean, S I call them STV. That's the, the um, oil treatment for cars. <laughs> got it. But actually, the, the name was STK. Um, for st skipping the pay, that's Skip Key Garden. At least it wasn't STD. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Um, and, and then after that, he he got uh, together with a few different people and started another band with a, a group called Julia. And they had a pretty good run of it. They, they had, you know, a couple of different gigs around the Midwest. And, and then he hooked up with the other Okies. You know, Tea Garden and Van Winkle for, were from Oklahoma. And so was um, Dick Sims and Jamie Oldacre. They were both Okies as well. And those guys are pretty famous now. They, I mean, they're passed away, but they, they were on Clapton's albums, and they went on tour with Clapton and stuff like that. But they were um, the ones that we used for um, the, most of the Back in 72 album. I have a question for you. Um, there is a lot of rumors floating around Hollywood Nights. Um, uh -huh. What's the real story behind Bob writing that song? I was not there then during that time. I was in, I worked in, in Punch's office, 
and I did album covers for them, but I really wasn't in touch with him when he wrote that song. But I did notice something in there, and it's when I used to go and do my book signings, I asked the audience questions once in a while, and I wanted to see if anybody was sharp enough to come up with this one. What two songs does Bob say she was born with a faith that would let her get her way? And nobody got it. It's Ivory and Hollywood Nights. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Really? Because I yep. heard that he had, you know, he literally, he was with Capitol Records, which has that iconic yep. building in Hollywood. Yep. He was true. there and he was, um, I had heard he had met one of the most popular female DJs in L.A. And they had huh. some sort of fling going on. You mean that dark hair beauty with... Big brown eyes, or whatever the line. <laughs> oh, is. And so that's a different song. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Yeah, I, I like I said, I don't know. I, I know that he was well, in yeah, LA and moves, he met Annette Sinclair, who was a, an actress, and he married her. Oh, okay. Well, there you have it. And, and yeah, but they got divorced not too long later. But you know, he did marry her, and and she, she's she's still a Facebook friend of mine. <laughs> so, who came up with the name Silver Bullet Band? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that one. That's a funny story. The band got together to start rehearsing in in early 1974. They were starting to, you know, do gigs, not gigs, but just rehearsals together. Yeah. And then they started gigging, and they still didn't have a name. And one day, they got paid, punched gave them their paychecks, and on the top of the check, it said the Silver Bullet Band. Hmm. Punch named the band. Oh, okay. Because nobody could come up with a good name. And, and Punch named them, and Seeger goes, oh, yeah, I like that. That's cool. And then the, the rest of the guys did, too, so it worked out. That's how they got their name. They they started, Drew Abbott started with Bob in, like, doing studio stuff in, in, in late 73. And then Charlie came along, and then um, Cino, Chris Campbell came along, and then um, Alto got in, got in the mix. He was uh, Tom Cartmel at the time. He changed his name to Alto Reed. And that's, that's how that band got started. But they, you know, they kept on going. Then they got Craig later on to play keyboards, and then Donnie to play drums after Charlie got in an accident. They also had Dave Teagarden playing drums for a while before um, before Donnie um, Brewer from the Grand Funk came in. Speaking of Grand Funk, do you have any? Um, did you take photos of them, and do you have any stories about them? No. Okay. I'll tell you why. Because Mark Varner tried to hustle my girlfriend. And so I always said hell with them. Right. <laughs> Got it. Good well, for you. Yeah, no, you gotta... it, that's no shit. He used to come over to her house <laughs> when I was there, and I'd be like, what, the, what are you doing here? You know, and he just had the biggest crush on her. But um, anyway, that was that was another story. That was from earlier. That was like before I was Bob's road manager, even. See, that even sounds like what something a Ted Nugent would do. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> How about any Ted stories? Yeah, you got any time. crazy Ted stories, Mr. Yeah, I Don't Believe he, in COVID? He, he, he was, his girlfriend was um, 
Twelve. It's really beautiful girl. <laughs> name, her name was Gail Kaufman. She was she was half half Jewish and half Indian. Wow. From like dots, not feathers. She was absolutely beautiful, and she was our secretary at the studio. Dots, and not he feathers. Came, he pulled up to the in front of our studio, and he had a Bronco at the time. And he pulled up, and he stood down the sidewalk, and he started yelling up. We were upstairs. We were on a second level. He he said. Hey, Wexler, I'm coming up there to get my girlfriend. I'm going to drive this thing up the side of the building if you don't let her come out. <laughs> and I didn't let her come out. And he ended up walking upstairs and came in the studio like he's going to bust in. Right? We were friends. It wasn't like he was going to beat anybody's butt or anything. But he came in and, and he took Gail out to lunch. But he he was known for his craziness. Back yeah. Boy, I'll say. That was back in... You know, early days for Ted. He was always nuts. I think that's, uh, he was the loudest band I think I ever saw. And I was on the road to Van Halen <laughs> for five years, but I think Ted Nugent was the loudest. You know, being from oh, Detroit, uh, I mean, obviously you've done a lot of rock shots, but did you do uh, anything with any of the Motown artists? I Yeah, I, I did. I, I shot a picture. Uh, well, actually, Aretha's not a Motown artist, but she's from Motown. I shot a a really good shot of her along with the mayor of the city of Detroit, Coleman Young. Wow. And I, I, and I, I shot pictures of Martha Reeves and I got pictures of the Supremes and Diana Ross. Wow. I got a really good shot of Diana Ross, um, down at, she played in, uh, and Joe Lewis and, and it was, it was her by herself at the time. And, and she was just spectacular. But that night, something really weird happened. I was at the show, and lo and behold, out of nowhere comes Gene Simmons. What? Without makeup on. <laughs> without his makeup on. He says, hey, Wesh, they, they knew me, too, because I took lots of pictures of Kiss. Yeah, because Kiss loved said, Detroit. I, I, need, uh, I need something from you, man. I said, what do you need? He said, I need you to take a picture of me and Diana. I said, Okay. He said, but I'm not going to have my makeup on, so I don't want anybody to ever see these pictures outside of me and her. I said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Wow. So we went underneath the, the, like the underneath of the stage area. There was a big room, like, and we, we went and uh, took all these pictures. I took a whole roll of film. And then he said, okay, thanks. When can I see them? I said, whenever you want. And I handed him the roll of film. Oh. I said, I, I don't want anybody looking for me later after somebody leaks these pictures. So <laughs> Smart. Good idea. Good so idea. Cream Magazine was uh, founded out of Detroit. And what yep. what kind of a relationship did you have with those guys? Because we have an interview coming up with them coming up. And um, as being a the rock and roll photographer of Detroit, you know, did they run a lot of your photos? They did not. Um, I they they had their own photographer. Um, Charlie um, Oranger was the he was a great photographer and he was their photo editor. And Michael Marks worked for them quite a bit. He worked for you guys too. I in, in the promotion biz a lot too. And uh, he was their photographer. I was on the on staff there for a minute. I I did a lot of stuff for them, like stop not pictures of shows, but pictures of um, guitars that they were doing articles on and stuff like that in our studio. We were right across the street from them. But um, 
the only shots that I ever really had in there were, I guess they used a couple of my pictures of uh, Jay Giles, and they used a couple of pictures of the Romantics that I, I shot. Nice. But that's about it. I, I really wasn't involved with them, although I was friends with all of them. Me and Barry were good friends. Uh, they, they, and um, his wife and I are friends, and um, Sue Weidel, I've known her for forever, ever since she was in high school. And um, Dave DiMartino and I are friends. I, I knew a lot of the people that worked there. I used to even have ar- uh, arguments with uh, Lester Banks. <laughs> <laughs> the infamous Lester Banks. About what? About the Beach Boys. Really? Yeah, yeah. He, he was on again, off again about the Beach Boys. And I told him one day, I said, you know what, fuck you. The Beach Boys are great, man. I don't care what you say. <laughs> well, the thing about Cream Magazine was they were um, they did negative interviews about everybody. I mean, yeah. they never said anything nice about anyone. <laughs> and it would irritate us in the record labels because we're trying to sell records and they would be trashing our bands. But they did it in such a funny way that their yeah. audience loved them. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. They had a big audience, that's for sure. So I want to backtrack a little bit. Uh, you brought up Gene Simmons, and you know I was a major Kiss fan as a teenager growing up. So I want to hear maybe a a great story about Kiss. You know when they really were first starting to take off. I mean, did you know him at that point? Yeah, I I did their first um their first uh, what do you call it, press conference. Wow. They, they had a a press conference out at the. Uh, executive terminal at, at Metro Airport, and um, I was invited out there by uh, WDRQ, China Jones, the, the DJ there. Me and China went out there, and I was taking pictures of them, and that's when I met them, and I, I met their their manager, Bill Alcoin, and he said, look, we're going we're gonna to want you to help us out in the next you know, when we keep coming into Detroit, which we had, they already had dates booked at Detroit, and I shot pictures of them with um, little kids who won the contest on CKLW, and they got their picture taken with Kiss. I wow. took the picture. There was, and Dick Williams was a promotion man for them. Do you remember Dick? Yeah, yeah. He he had me come and shoot their gold record presentation at uh, at Cobo Hall. I did a lot of photos of Kiss. They were they were really really good guys in a really good band. They took Seeger out on the road and actually gave him his first kind of tour in front of major audiences he opened for them that is great you know i was hitchhiking around the country and ended up in atlanta georgia and there's this place called alex cooley's electric ballroom and he would bring in these touring bands and they would play three four five nights and i remember (laughs) bob seeger being there for like four nights in a row and then i remember and there was a vip section that was up above everybody you had to go uh-huh. up these steps. And I remember these four guys came rolling in with these ginormous platform platform boots. And yeah. I thought it was the New York Dolls. And then I said right. to one of them, I think it was Ace, I said, hey, man, are you the New York Dolls? My mic went out. And uh, I, I said, are you the New York Dolls? And he goes, no, man, we're Kiss. We're better than the Dolls. <laughs> Good for him. Well, they were a better band than the Dolls, and they looked – pretty much the same except for the when they donned the makeup then they were off the chart crazy looking yeah that was a they, they were a good band was the place that you went to 
it, there was it did it used to be called Richards? Well, uh, it was right across from the Fox Theater on P- you know how Peachtree Street is the infamous yeah. street in Atlanta. And it was like well, our Masonic Temple in Detroit was Fox Theater. Um, ah, okay. God, I saw so many bands. I saw Greg Allman and Cowboy there. I mean, I saw so many bands. We played a place called Richard's in it when I was Bob's road manager back in like 1970. And that they had they paid good money, and they pay, they had us in for like five nights straight. That that was, but that was before we were actually a touring band. We were just going. You know, I'd have to call the office at night to find out where our next gig was. But that was before tours were set up. But Richards was a great place in Atlanta. The audiences in Atlanta were spectacular. Well, um, some of the things that you have given us permission to use, some of the photos, I should say, like uh-huh. uh, Tom Petty or John Cougar Mellencamp when he was just starting out as John Cougar. Some of those photos, Thomas, are so amazing. I really wish there was a way that people could go directly to you to buy these things. I mean, can you give them their, your email address or something? The, 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 uh, well, that, like I said, it's – well, actually, I didn't tell you the whole thing. It's tomweschler.darkroom.tech. That's, okay where you can go and the picture of Cougar uh, that you were talking about, that was taken on Jack Ashton's front lawn. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. We were waiting, you know, Jack, right? We were waiting for Jack to get his hair together. Oh, that sounds like him. (laughs) And Cougar says, let's go out and take some pictures, man. Let's wait for, he can can come find us. Well, um, this has been a great, great interview. I got one last question before we close it out, Fred. Okay. So you've you've been with a guy, you know, you've known him 50 years, and I know you've got 10,000 Bob Seger stories, but is there kind of uh, maybe a heartwarming story, something that you saw Bob do maybe for someone, a fan or something like that, that just kind of has always stayed in your memory? Yeah, he's always done the the, uh, March of Dimes, and he took – you know, had pictures taken of him with the little kids in crutches and everything. Yeah, that was one of his his major, and st- still is. I mean, he donates to charities um, constantly, and he does it. Uh, un- uh, un- uh, what is it? Unanimous. Uh, well, anyway, so Unanimous. nobody knows who he is. Yeah, and and he does that a lot, and um, you know, he's he's known for his charitable. Um, altruistic virtues, and, and that's for sure. He's and he's plus a really a nice guy. There's no doubt about that. Sounds like it. But we're, you know, we're working on a film. Uh, my a friend of mine, Alex Green, is he's a producer. He's working on a film based on my book, on on Traveling Man. Mm. That's going to be coming at you soon. Nice. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, it should be cool. I can't wait till the casting of the girls. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite That'll part. Be the fun yeah. part. Yeah. I got one other story for you. Okay, okay. let's you, close it out. You might want for Seeger. Okay. One day I was at the office when you you remember our office that was in that house, Freddie, you remember yes. that? Yeah, I sure do. Birmingham? Okay, I was in the office um one day and Bob pulls up in front. 
And he comes running in. He goes, Wes, come on, get in the car. I got something I want to play for you. I said, okay. I got in the car, started driving around, and he pushes the cassette in. Now, it's just him and a guitar in his foot keeping the beat. And the song goes like this. Stranger in town. Stranger in town. And we did that for like two miles around Birmingham. And I finally, I said, why is he in town? And he yelled right back at me. He goes, I don't know. The song's not over yet. I haven't finished it. (laughs) And it was all in his head. Yeah. Yep, 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 that's right. So thanks for having me on. I'm, I appreciate it. It's been a blast. Thank you for calling in, and um, we'll get this to you uh, momentarily. Yeah, I was uh, actually yeah. just pulled up your website uh, and just loving the photos. So, again, it's tomweschler.darkroom.tech, and there are some amazing shots on there, man. You do, do great they work. They do a hell of a job. They, they really do. I got people sending me notes all the time saying, man, I love that picture. I love how they did it. The frame's good. So it's a high-quality place. And I think it makes such an amazing gift when you know you have a friend that loves a certain band and yeah. to get a beautiful black and white or a beautiful shot of them in their peak. Like, your shots of Tom Petty are amazing. But then again, well, your shots you. of everybody is amazing. You're a phenomenal photographer. Yep. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Promotion Man, the true backstories of the most iconic bands in the world, told by Fred Myers and interviewed by me, L.A. Lloyd. Get involved and interact on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll find the links at promotion-man.com. That's promotion-man.com. Download the weekly Promotion Man podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. We appreciate you subscribing and spreading the word, and thanks for listening.